And hello, you're all very welcome to Can Projects, where we love to talk about culture, art, nature, and wellness. And I'm your co-host, Shane McKay. And I'm your other co-host, Christopher Sneed. Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue, and we have a great returning guest lined up for you. Jack O'Sullivan, the director of the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland, an Irish NGO which advocates a cradle-to-cradle approach, the circular economy, and ensuring that anything we produce or import can be repaired, reused, recycled, or composted at the end of its life. ZWAI is, a, is very active in responding to waste-related public consultations issued by Irish government departments and the EU. EU Commission. So they're, this is, they're, they're, they're an international group, guys. They're very active in Europe, but they have an international presence. They have really done super important work, and I'm really excited to learn more about that from Jack. This is part two of our most recent discussion with Jack O'Sullivan. You can find links to the audio and video in the description of this show. And here's a couple of clips to recap what we covered in the previous show with Jack O'Sullivan. You ask definition of zero waste, designing everything we use. You have to start at the design stage so that that object, whatever it is, packaging, fridge, a car, piece of furniture, a building is designed to be taken apart, be reused, to be recycled, to be repaired. And nothing in it should be toxic because that immediately makes it the job of repairing, reusing, repurposing much more difficult. So that would be the definition. We did see the common charger law come into effect, but they were trying for years for that. That took so long to actually get that through. It does, Shane. This is the problem we're up against all the time. Both in Europe and in Ireland, industry has huge lobbying power. Industries and everyone else takes money from some other entity, whether it's the taxpayer, the user, whatever. A lot of the industries involved, even mobile phones, you mentioned about the common charger, have incredible lobbying power. And there's about six or seven or eight lobbyists for every single member of the European Parliament. But they're trying their damnedest to keep the legislation in a way that will not affect the profits that they make. Profits that they make are humongous. The difficulty we have here all the time, while the European Commission is trying hard, they're up against the lobbying power of industry. The governments of member states are not behaving very well either. When the commission found that Apple was not paying its tax, there was an announcement that the commission would take a case against Apple. What did the Taoiseach do even before he saw the papers in the case? Immediately said, we will support Apple against the European Commission. Everyone in Europe was horrified. That's corporate greed. That's not representing the people. That's representing corporate interests. Yes, that's exactly it. And now for part two with our very special guest, environmental expert and zero waste and circular economy advocate, Jack O'Sullivan. There's really a big challenge here to change the thinking behind government ministers and senior civil servants who grew up in a system whereby Antashka, for example, is regarded as a foreign inside of government. One government minister, going back 20 years now, referred to Antashka as a crowd of belted earls because they were a couple of titled people. Mm. But recently, Bertie Hearn, in opening a motorway at Simsdown to Galway, referred to the fact that if it wasn't for these sandal-wearing, moodily-eating greenies to build up this project, which takes 10 minutes off the trip to Galway from Dublin, we could have had it opened a year ago. So you have that kind of a pull. 
Jack, um, you you were one of the founding com- com- members of the uh, Climate Change Committee on Antarctica, weren't you? I am a founder member, and I occasionally attend meetings, not as often as I'd like. And they are a great crowd of people. We have some of the best climate experts in Europe on that Antarctica Committee, and certainly some of the best in Europe. And even I've questioned there some of the civil servants. There are some people in the Department of the Environment who are very, very good. And I remember we, in Zero Waste to the Ants Ireland, produced a document oh, a good few years back about how all our tires produce an hour be recycling. We met the guys in that department. They said, that's a very, very good um, proposal you come. But they couldn't implement it. Oh. In fact, at the end of the day, all our discarded tires are given to a crowd called Repack. And you know what they do with them? They hand them over to the incinerator or to cement plants to be burned. Yeah, there's companies over in England that are doing rubber crumb driveways made from recycled tires. I've been looking for a long time to find a company in Ireland that'll do that, and there's not a single one. One, I think, is I think for the Mona have started up a plant within the last year in Drogheda or Dundalk. But we came up with a better suggestion. If you add a small amount of rubber to tarmac, now, Todd, we use thousands of tons of tarmac every year, but a small percentage of rubber makes a tarmac less liable for cracking. It makes it a little bit more flexible, and curiously, it gives you better skin resistance, mm. slightly more friction involved. And that'll use up an awful lot of rubber, and you can then also recover the steel. Putting the whole thing into an incinerator or a cement plant destroys everything. Well, that wouldn't be the circular economy, because you're really only just using it as a slightly better use. Mm. Also, and I've seen this done uh, well, not seen it actually, but I read about it, seen a film about it done in Germany, where a tire can be just frozen, the rubber simply cracks off into little bits, or it can be broken up by some powerful, uh, uh, like pneumatic press or something like that, and you can literally separate physically the steel, the nylon fiber, and the rubber, and the rubber can be recovered and reused. It can be done. But as long as industry finds it more profitable to dump the whole thing into an incinerator or a cement plant, then it's not going to be done unless government makes it impossible for industry to be that. Yeah. So, Jack, there's, there's a couple of things I'd love to get on to. We're getting, we, 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 we've already been 40 minutes in and we're, we're, we're just, this is an absolute mountain of information we're getting through. So I'd like to re- really remind the audience to please do go and check out and follow ZWAI online, whether you're on Instagram or if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, please do go and follow them. They, they are putting out very important information on a regular basis. And in preparation for this discussion, today, Jack and Orla Coote and Fitzsimon were very good to send us on some great information and uh, Chris, you had a look there through some of it, there's some stuff we'll, we're gonna, we'll talk about plastic a little bit and um, water a little bit, but was there was there something Chris you came across there? It was the microplastics being found in vegetables and human blood, yeah I read about it as well and nearly every fish, there was a study done in the United States some years ago and every time they, they examined a fish, they found microplastics. That is a big problem. All of the plastics we produce, only a very small amount is actually recycled. Mm. Most of it is either burned, 
which again means you have to uh, make new plastic that generally comes from natural gas, from ethylene. And what is not burned or not recycled, and there's only a small proportion gets recycled, generally ends up in the environment. And it ends up in streams, rivers, the soil, and a lot of what ends up in streams and rivers finally finds its end in the sea. And there, wave action and ultraviolet light break it down into smaller and smaller pieces. So the macroplastics will affect fish, turtles, seabirds, and microplastics also end up in the gut of fish. And we don't. The, 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 well, the, I think the bottom line is it's in the food chain now. That's that. We are like we are we are in that chain also. So of course it's ending up in people's bloodstreams. And I came across another really interesting document there, um, in relation to some uh, the chemicals that have been found in 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 bee honey, and it's it's quite it's kind of related to the plastic thing. There was a, a document Orla sent on Jack about um, uh, it was in the Farmers Journal about uh, some farmers admitting to burning and incinerating and and burying plastic, but the results, okay, the 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 effect of that, Ireland has some of the highest cancer rates in Europe. We have high cancer rates. We also have very high rate of usage of agrochemicals. And one of the problems we have here is that over the years, it's very hard to change people's habits. Over years and years, going right back to the late 1980s, farmers have been encouraged to use agrochemicals. The department was measuring production purely in tons per hectare. And the way you can achieve that is by turning the soil into literally just dust. Uh, organic matter gone, add, add inorganic fertilizer, add pesticides, add herbicides, add fungicides, and you produce, quotation marks, food, unquote. And, and, and of course, monoculture as well. Monoculture as well, Chris, that's right. And, you know, this is deep in the, in the Irish agricultural system. And farmers are not told, really, that that system must come to an end. They're, they're objecting to the change because people don't like change. If I've made reasonable living out of rearing geese cattle or producing milk, which goes out as milk powder for baby food in Saudi Arabia, or beef, which, as the minister says, feeds the world. It does not. It only feeds the very, very point zero zero one percent of people even afford Irish beef in countries like China or India or wherever we export to. So we're doing this kind of thing and we're damaging our soil as well and we're causing huge loss of biodiversity. How, what can we do again? There's things called regenerative farming. There's organic farming. I watch a wonderful program called Ear to the Ground. I think it's good. It's on RT television. I shouldn't be advertising it, but I like it. Ah, that's okay. If you like it, it's, it's, it's fine to mention things. That's absolutely fine. I often talk about organic production. And they'll interview a farmer who says, I've switched over to organic. Okay, my yields have gone down from 11 tons an acre, maybe to 7 tons an acre. Then saving forty thousand a year on not buying fertilizer, and I remember there was one interview I thought was a lovely one. A youngish guy 
He was cattle farming, I forget, whether it was dairy or beef. And again, his production was down, his own purely organic. And his father, who was standing beside him as he was being interviewed on program Ear to the Ground, chipped in and said, Now, don't forget, since you went organic, you never had to have the vet in. Whereas before you were, an or- before you were organic, when you were an intensive farmer, the vet was around here every month. So, you know, the organic farmer doesn't get in as much money and coming in the door, but he or she has to spend far less. So the end result is you can still make a reasonable living. Mm. But unfortunately, the push from Chagas since the 1980s was to encourage farmers. Well, not just encourage, almost, you know, lobby them. Become a development farmer. You're no good unless you're growing. How do you grow? Buy more land, get bigger machinery. And as a result of that, you have a lot of farmers who are in debt, having borrowed maybe 280,000 for a big powerful tractor. Now, if the price of diesel goes up and the price of milk goes down, they're in fierce trouble. Mm-hmm. I remember visiting an organic farm in uh, Galway a couple of years ago. And they used very purely organic, just veggies. But they were making a nice living, a very nice living. And you could get um, a box of vegetables for 20 euro, and they would deliver it every week or every fortnight. Now, it would be a bit more expensive, say, than going to Aldi or Lidl or wherever the other shop. But the quality, though, is like, like you can visibly better. You can smell the carrots. You can you know. smell the carrots, Chris. That's right. When I look at what we get occasionally from some of the big supermarkets, and you see the leeks might be in Spain, uh, the raspberries from Morocco, I've seen stuff from Chile. And when I think of the mileage, mm. the fuel, um, to carry that stuff all the way to Europe. And I remember in, in a program, there's a wonderful series called Fierschgale, Ertigia Carp. And there was a lovely um, deep nook at the whole vegetable industry. A lot of our vegetables are grown in Spain under huge greenhouses covering hectares, almost square kilometers. And there's a professor of um, being into groundwater, hydrogeology. And he said, the crazy thing is we're running out of water in Spain. We don't get enough rainfall and we're using all our groundwater. But what are we doing with it? We are exporting vegetables like cucumbers, which are very rich in water. The mm. countries like Ireland, which have a lot of water. When he said that, I thought, yes, it is actually crazy. So a water-rich vegetable being exported from a country that's short of water to a country that's rich in water. He said in a few years, really, the Spanish industry of vegetable growing will collapse because the groundwater will not be replenished. And, of course, the rising temperatures will make it difficult to as well. Ireland is a very good country for participating in a good circular economy and vegetable void where everything goes back into the soil. And by the way, the other big crisis worldwide is soil. Mm. Worldwide, we're losing soil. In Ireland, quite a bit. In other countries, much more. So turning away from a beef and dairying type of um, diet to a, a diet for healthy planet as proposed by the Lancet Commission, 
will help the environment, it will help energy, it will help climate change as well, and it will help protect the soil a bit. Now, so, Jack, I know you have a big passion for marine biology, and it's a subject I'd love to get into which a lot deeper. But it'd be a great thing now just be just to help round off this conversation if we touch on that, because I saw Zero Waste Alliance Ireland put out a great document there in the last couple of weeks um, to do with uh, 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 the importance of a, 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 an alliance on, on, on water. We do these submissions in response to public consultations. And this is why we want members to join us so they can help us write these documents. Well, it doesn't mean to say they're going to have a fantastic influence, but the more that environmental organizations produce submissions to government departments, the more likely we are to see change. Because when the, when the government puts out a public submission, uh, a, an invitation, and you can see who responded, and an awful lot of the responses will be from industry who are just basically saying, do this, do it this way, it'll help us. But we're doing it say, to say we, we need to protect the environment, we need to take care of resources, we need to implement more the circular economy. So that's where organizations like ourselves and others as well need, need people to join up with us and form part of those working teams who will contribute to submissions. Yeah, because at the end of the day, folks, if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. We all have no. to take responsibility. Each one of us needs to be involved and be engaged and realize, look, we are the environment, okay? We are part of the environment. And it's in not just our interest. It's in the interest of humanity, okay? <laughs> Never mind everything everything else that's living on the planet. But um, so, so, Jack, you, you, I know you're really well up on, on, on this topic of, of water and... I, I, I'd love to know, it'd be great to know two things, okay, is what kind of initiatives are we seeing that are actually kind of gaining traction? But where are we really falling down? Where Where is it falling down? Like, I know we've got lots of leaks in the pipes and things like that, but it's a much bigger topic than just leaks. Basically, um, water is a key topic in Ireland, if you can see that. Where are we doing good? There's a local authority waters program. That's very good. There are people in every county which are paid by the state and by local authorities. And they're trying to encourage people to take care of water, set up local groups, take care of your lake, look after your rivers. And your groups like Antashka also doing cleanups of rivers. And there's loads of clean communities everywhere. And I think they should be encouraged and given some form of support, even if it's only advice and help, materials and equipment. That's a very great help. On the other side, we seem to have a complete log jam when it comes to dealing with leaks. The average leakage rate in most European countries would be somewhere between 8 or 10%. We are wasting 40% of our water. The last figure I saw from Irish Water was we want to bring the leakage rate down from 42% to 38%. Big deal. You know, as if this was going to be such a fantastic thing. And what's the timeline on that? Oh, years. But again, we've done things in a very curious way. I think what the government intended to do was follow Britain and sell off the water supply system. Britain did that. And I think there are seven or eight water authorities in Britain. 
set up as companies. They were set up, their government over there said, oh, we have these seven or eight British companies that supply our water, the Severn Trent Water Company, the Southeastern Water Company, and so on. All those companies have been sold long ago to Middle Eastern investment funds, um, rich people, wealth management companies. So they've suddenly woken up to realize they have no control anymore over their water. Now, luckily, we escaped that. Well, I think there was a, a tendency that the government in setting up Irish water was thinking, well, now we might sell this off like we sold off Aircom. But there were huge protests against that. Why did we set up Irish water? And I'll tell you what was needed and what was not needed. All of the water supplies and disposal of sewage is handled by local authorities, as close to the ground as you can get. Not as good maybe as in Finland, where there are 1,500 separate local authorities. So a town the size of Mullingar would have its own city council or own county would look after education, policing, roads, uh, water supplies, sewage. We have bigger authorities, but still, they're, at least they are local. Some of them were good at managing water. Others were not so good. What was needed would be some government body that would encourage, cajole, and help them, all of them, to achieve a certain stage of good water management. That wasn't done. Instead, everything was poured into this huge organization called Irish Water. Nobody knows exactly what's going on in it. Uh, it's a very secretive organization. Um, when they were set up, it was stated by the government that the billing for water would be easy to manage because we had poured gosh air in before that was sold off, by the way, too, that's now owned by a London-based company called Centrica. Uh, Board Gosh here and had a billing system, or computer run, of course, and you binned people who wanted gas. So using that type of system, uh, the water will be very easy and simple. It didn't work. The Irish Water Chief Executive decided that they couldn't use the type of billing system that Board Gosh Aaron had. So they got a new one. And when they were called in before one of the Doyle committees, they were told, you spent 50 million in your first year setting up the billing systems and your management systems. What you just, and they direct the chief man in Irish water wouldn't tell them what they had done. Wouldn't tell the Doyle committee what that money had been. It seems to be the same thing again and again, where it's kind of like, well, I take responsibility, but it, there's no problem with leadership. It's uh, and it's all very uh, the way it's handled. It's just it's not transparent. There's no accountability, and I don't know. On a side note, we're we're going we're going to have to sign off soon, Jack. I know you you, you got to go, but just in relation to all of this, again, back to our model of governance, like when 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 our focus is purely on balance sheet economics and and. You know, look, we, you know, we can't eat money. We can't eat coal, okay? Like, I don't know, on, on the one hand, on, you know, it's very, it's it's a huge concern what's going on right now uh, for people just in their, in, in, in their everyday lives. But hopefully, 
people are starting to wake up and see the bigger picture now of like, why did we get to where we are right now? And we, we, there still seems to be so much talk going on. Um, but I am encouraged to see, okay, well, at least there's some, they're, they're, we're, we're getting good, good traction and there are good developments and good developments. But again, it's too slow. You mentioned something very important there, Chris. You talked about balance sheet economics. And that is the kind of economics which is very, very damaging because the, 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 the economic analysis done by accountants sees only the company and nothing else. For example, I'll give you two examples. In Newfoundland many years ago, the government set up a waste resources board. Not a waste board, a waste resources board. And they decided they would be one of the first countries to go for zero waste. And the Waste Resources Board was not making money. In other words, it was not profitable. And the government said, no, we might have to close this down. So they got in a firm of luckily good accountants. And these good accountants didn't look just at the balance sheet. They said, okay, the Waste Resources Board is not turning a profit. But by not, by, by recycling stuff, we've created 4,000 jobs. And we've improved our tourist industry. We save the cost of building a new landfill. And you look at the wider picture. Now, in Ireland, we have a, had a wonderful oil refinery in West, in uh, Cork Harbour at Whitegate, given to us free, by the way, by the oil industry, free for nothing. And we ran it for years and it made a good profit. And because for some reason, the government said, oh, we shouldn't be running oil, um, oil refineries. We sold it off to the Americans. They sold it again to somebody else. They sold it again to somebody else. But um, one of the things that we did well was instead of asking an accountancy firm, generally we ask accountancy firms to do things, give us advice, and they will perform the balance sheet economics. The government asked a firm of chemical engineers in Dublin who teamed up with a firm of refinery specialists in the United States, and they produced an extremely good report on that order. Now, accountants who deal with balance sheets find technology very difficult, but engineers find accountancy quite easy. You're know, just counting money. They worked out that if that refinery had remained in state hands, it would have delivered several hundred million euro every year to the Irish Exchequer. And they even looked at the cost of buying it back and running as a state company, which again would give us a steady income into the government's fund. So we've sold off something that was delivering money uh, to the government, got a few million, maybe a few tens of millions. And now we've also lost something else. Because when we sold off the refinery and sold off the terminal on Whidbey Island, those tanks in Ork and Whitegate and in Bantry Bay, there are huge tanks there, 14 of them. They hold 7 million barrels of oil. We are required by European legislation to hold six months of oil. It's called a national oil reserve. Every country has to do it. We could do it. No, we can't because we don't own the tanks anymore. We employ a company in the Netherlands to store that amount of oil for us. 
it's just it's 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 it's, it's again it, it, the the pattern that we see is just I think short sightedness. Yeah, I mean, economics. You put your finger on it when you said balance sheet economics. If you only look, if you look, for example, at a railway company, and we did this in the nineteen sixties, not making money, close it down. But the economic cost of moving all those ranger lines, the cost to the country was huge. Fishermen couldn't get their fish from Baltimore to London. They could do it in 24 hours up to the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Towns in Ireland that were supplied with regular rail service, like Trim, died economically. Now we've had to, now everybody has to own cars and lorries, and now we're stuck completely with an addiction to road transport. If you look at Europe, they're pushing rail big time. And you can transport far more cheaply goods and freight by rail. And you can electrify the whole thing. And the cost in terms of kilowatt hours or energy per kilometer, per ton kilometer or passenger kilometer is much less. We're still stuck with the most, uh, what's the word for it? The most, um, Outdate, I think outdated would be a good a good term for, for where we are. It's totally outdated. It is. But getting it back is almost impossible now. It's very when a country sells off its infrastructure or destroys its infrastructure for one reason or another, recovering it is extremely costly. Um I don't know if we'll ever do that. We have to figure out more clever ways of trying to do without that infrastructure. But it's very sad when you see, and for example, we sold off a wonderful beet industry. We provided, when Ireland was self-sufficient in sugar, Ireland could export sugar. Farmers got the beet pulp back from the beet industry. Um, they had another crop which they could um, harvest towards the end of the year, which kept the going for longer. So, and we sold it off. Now we're the, one of the few, I think Malta doesn't have a beet industry, or probably Cyprus, one of the very few European countries doesn't have it. But the men who bought that company made millions because, or they grabbed millions, because the site of one of the beet plants, beet sugar plants, which they closed down, is several hundred acres in Carnot. Now, if you were sitting on several hundred acres adjacent to the town of Carnot, and you're making a few tens of millions every year in profit. But you realize you can sell that land for three or four hundred million. What are you going to do? Shut down the factory and sell the land. It's known as asset stripping. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, listen, Jack, we've really covered a lot of ground there and these are topics we're going to be coming back to a lot this year. <clears throat> Chris, do you have any final thoughts now before we we, 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 we kind of finish up? Um, for one thing, I found that um, that that document name. Oh, great! Yeah, Wal- yeah, it was Water and Sustainability: A Very Necessary Alliance. Oh, that's a fairly recent one. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. I highly recommend people go. We've already shared that out a bit online, but I would really encourage people go to zwai.ie, have a look around, and what's the name of that document again, Chris? Water and Sustainability: yeah. A Very Necessary Alliance. I'm producing another one now on the question of sustainability on the 23rd of February. I'm speaking at a conference in Dublin and I'll be looking at sustainability as a kind of a philosophical wider idea. What does it really mean and how do you achieve it? 
Oh, great. Well, I'd, I'd, love, I'd, love, I'd love to hear a follow-up on that, Jack, at some point. And, of course, as always, there's an open invitation for anyone from ZWAI, yourself or Orla or anybody who'd like to come on. If there's anything important that you kind of need to get out quickly, give us a shout and we'll get it out as soon as we can. The door is always open. Even but with Orla, we've a young guy now, um, Jack Coffey. And he's recently graduated from UCC. He's involved in plant science. He knows about soil. He'd be able to talk to Wilson. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. that'd be yeah. that'd be fabulous. Yeah, we'll we, we'll be in contact about that and try and line that up fairly so, soon. From a final thought, many hands make light work, and anybody who is interested should check out the ZWAI and see if, see if they can do anything to help. Yeah. That's good. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Thank. You're more than welcome, Jack. And there was, you sent us on a couple of quotes that I, I didn't mention. There was one here, it was a, Thomas Berry, the author of The Dream of Earth, uh, the great work, Our Way into the Future, and co-author of The Universe Story, from the primordial flaring fort to the eco, ecos, ecos, ecozoic era. And there's a great quote here, Earth, earth is a one of is a one-time endowment. It is subject to irreversible damage in the major patterns of its functioning. And it is up to us, folks, okay? It's up to all of us to face up to our responsibility as far as the environment and each other too, you know? And, and the environment includes our social behaviour also. So don't forget that. When we're talking about the environment, we're not just talking about eating your vegetables and things like that. This is a holistic issue that... It, and it's, it, it, I think it's... One of the biggest challenges put to humanity, you know, can we do it? Can we have an equal society and an equal environment? Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be with you. And the other thing that Thomas Berry said, I love him as, as, as an inspiring person. He said, the first law of economics should be the preservation of the earth. The exactly. Medicine should be the health of the earth. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Earth first. He says, the earth is primary we are deriv derived from it. And that's, you'd be one of the people who's influenced my thinking. Others would be Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, uh, Donella Meadows, who uh, grew up in the United States as an organic farmer. She was one of the team who wrote The Limits to Growth. Um, there's, a, there's a dozen or so people out there whom I would think of as really, really inspiring. I'd include our own Mary Robinson as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, she's she's actually. I saw a great interview with her um, on the BBC there uh, around Christmas time, and I have to say, it was a really nice, insightful interview where it wasn't just the sound bites and the clips. It got I got to really see a kind of hu the human side to her, and um, I would encourage people to keep an open mind on all of these topics. I think so too, and and there are people out there like Carrie Robinson, like um, Greta as well. And another man I follow is James Hansen. He's a wonderful planet scientist. He's been going for many, many years. He writes in a very academic way. It's very detailed stuff. But I rely on him on what he says. Stuff as well, too, you know, that are it's not worth listening to as well. So there we are, guys. Okay. Jack O'Sullivan from Zero Waste Alliance Ireland. Thank you again so much and best wishes and do do keep in touch. Give us a shout anytime, please. Talk to you soon, Jack. Enjoy your cup of tea. <laughs> bye now. Bye bye. Thanks, Jack. Bye bye.
So that was great. There's the here's the after show with from the show we just did with uh, Jack O'Sullivan, director of ZWAI, who it's their the anniversary of Zero Waste Alliance Ireland this year. That since they not since they started, but since they got they registered as an NGO, and then they they got charitable status in in two thousand and four. Now let me just pull up their website again, Chris. ZWAI.ie. Any thoughts, Chris, on all of that? That was we really covered a lot of stuff there. Oh yeah, and I mean we've got mountains yet to talk about with Jack, you know, because um, it's such a deep kind of broad spaced kind of subject. There's so many facets and different avenues, you know. And um, well, like like we like we kind of touched on there, it's a holistic subject. So of course there's going to be so many. Uh, areas that you could veer off into, but they're all really important and worth mentioning. And so that we get a bit, we get a we, like we said, we get, we get the big picture and see how these things fit together, you know, yeah. and not, not, not kind of, I mean, it's, it's important to be, to be focused and, and, and kind of focus on particular areas, but how these things connect is so important. Like the, the, the you know, like the, the, the whole thing of, of the circular economy and like how that kind of ties into all of this is massive. Oh yeah, I mean, like there's so many things that we've done over a long period of time that have been on the wrong path that now we have to kind of backtrack and get back to the right path, really. Yeah, and it, you know, I think it's almost like it does all come back to sustainability, really. I think, unfortunately, people are a bit jaded, I think, Chris, as far as hearing about climate change and the environment and sustainability. That It's almost like kind of like we've trained ourselves as a society to ignore like ads you know we're bombarded by all this information so our filters are kind of high that like when we keep on getting hit by the same information all the time we filter it we've been hearing about this since we were very young children like our entire life has had people going no this is coming this is coming so much so that we just can't hear anymore it's like the sound of a refrigerator you know Exactly, that's exactly what it is. It turns into ambient noise, like, mm. which is why it's really important to actually keep these conversations active. And guys and folks and people out there, please, uh, like, um, we're not just, like, it's not like Jack's our buddy and we're like, oh yeah, go and volunteer from. We are really, really serious about this. If you are interested, like we said, in contributing to positive social and environmental change, these guys are like, seriously, go and check them out. They've got so much experience. Like, we, we were looking at Zero Waste Alliance long before we even heard who Jack O'Sullivan was, like, yeah. you know. So, uh, it's not it's not like we're trying to, we are friendly with Jack and he's yeah. a good friend, like, yeah. well, we're not trying to promote our buddies. <laughs> no, no, that's it, you know, so. Um, and yeah, do go and check out the Canon Project's website if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing. We've been going now since 2021 in November. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, this is our third year now. It's our, we're, we're, we're not quite three years old, but this is our third year. And you can find out we're a voluntary organization. We've no funding at all, which kind of makes, which means we, we, we can't do as much as we'd like to do, but we're very committed to the idea that, um, like, we're, we're, we're doing it because it's important, okay? That, that's our motivation. I'm really glad Jack was so enthusiastic about that that that, that, that point on balance, balance sheet economics because it's so blind. Hmm. 
you know, until you look at the full picture, like it's not a no, a success is not just kind of go, well, we're raking it in. This is great. Yeah. But like, what's the, what's the impact of that? You know, that the balance sheet that economics really doesn't take, it's the problem is Chris, I think this is something like I kind of hit on recently is that, and we're seeing it right now with public health and the crisis in the, in the health service and public services in general in Ireland, never mind what's going on in the UK. We'll get onto that on another day. Like, that's like way out there. Um, yeah. But we all, like, reactionary solutions are no, I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. To wait till no. things are at a crisis point and then kind of go, you know, and I mean, there's so much talk like, oh, we're prepared for winter. The health service is prepared for winter. And we were so, nobody believed that and, and they were proved right. So it's, please stop lying. Please stop telling. Please stop just lying. Okay, it, I, that, to me that's a lie. Okay, because I don't see how any sensible person how could how could someone who's supposed to be a, a, a servant of, of of the public not like how could they not be aware of like I'm sorry like it, I don't think they're that out of touch with reality. I don't buy it. Yeah. You know. They do live in this country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. We did just put out an article find there. on the Cam blog that's all about uh, zero waste and the other shows that we did with Jack O'Sullivan. And it's got some clips and excerpts and quotes and links to some really great stuff. So do go and check that out. And please do see us next time for the Cam Projects podcast. And keep well. Look after each other. Help each other. Help us all. <laughs> That's it. Ciao, Diego. Slam the fall. And the Can Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the Can Project's website in the description. All the best. <laughs> <laughs>